Welcome in everybody to a Monday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am your host, John Harris. Glad you're with me tonight. We got Andre Ware, John McClain on the show, and then we'll take a quick run around the NFL. Some news, as always, uh, with this league of ours. My goodness, there's always news. There's news in Las Vegas where another 2020 first round pick has been released. I'm telling you, that draft the Raiders are going to look back on, oh my goodness. I, my friend Cody Stutes tweeted this out today, and I really want to save this for later, but my buddy Cody Stutes put this out there, and it's always a good reference point as it pertains to big trades because obviously we've been talking about big trades over uh, the last, oh, I don't know, six to nine months, somewhere along those lines. Cody put this out there, and it, and this is interesting. Remember the Raiders traded Khalil Mack to the Bears, and they got two first-round picks back, and it looked like, man, okay, Khalil Mack, John Gruden can't really get along, but Gruden got a pretty good haul coming back for the Raiders. The Raiders turned Khalil Mack into running back Josh Jacobs, who's still there, Doing well-ish. Blasson Austin, now on Seattle. The other second, the other first-round pick they got was Damon Arnett from out of Ohio State, who had a third-round grade on, released. And then they have Brian Edwards, the receiver, who's still there and still sort of waiting for him to break out. Those are the four players they got. And Cody's point goes to... The fact that, hey, if you make a monumental trade, which could happen sometime soon, I don't know when, but if you do, the players you get back better be better than Josh Jacobs, Blasson Austin, Damon Arnett, and Brian Edwards. Something to think about what's going on with the Raiders. We'll talk a little bit more about that later when we go around the NFL, but right now it's time to catch up with our good pal, Andre Ware. It's a fun discussion this morning about all things Texans, Heisman Trophy, and, of course, University of Cincinnati. Dre, you got to be very deliberate when you throw it out of bounds, correct? Yeah, you, you got to make sure that, that the ball gets, you know, it works its way out of bounds. And there's no doubt. If you are trying to, to complete a pass, make sure that it's your receiver or it's it's going out of bounds. But you got to make sure if you're just trying to get rid of it, make sure the ball travels out of bounds. Otherwise, what happened yesterday to, to Tarod is going to happen. Or you leave it up for – for chance where a ball gets tipped back into the field to play and nothing good happens for a quarterback when the ball is tipped. Dre, with Tyrod yesterday, uh, when he's been off, I mean, off, been off away away from the, the field since week two, and he comes back yeah. in week nine. So he's been out for seven weeks. I mean, it's expected to have some rust. But did yesterday seem like there was a little too much rust on Tyrod? Well, I just believe rust is rust, <laughs> and uh, yeah. whether you have too much or too little, it's going <laughs> to show itself uh, at some point in time. So, uh, yeah, that's a long period of time to just be thrown back in. You know, the perfect situation is maybe uh, he's the he's a backup coming into Davis, and then all of a sudden he gets some time and then works his way kind of back in it. But you know, when you when you start the season as the starter, things like this happen. Uh, he's a veteran guy that you think would be able to uh, to have it, you know, bounce right back into it. But and and at the very least, 
take care of the ball a little bit better than he did yesterday, minus the three picks. All right, well, help me out here, Trey. You're a quarterback. There's zero blitzing a lot. What do you want as a quarterback when that happens? What what can help you out? A, a safety valve, however you want to put it. What do you want to see in a pattern to get the ball out fast? Well, there's two things. Um, you want to be able to pick up where you can slide to so that you have no traffic in your face and you're able to get the ball out. At least one guy is going to be yours. So you want the, the middle of the formation secured up, and then if you slide protect, you know the end man off the backside or however you choose to have it, whether he's coming front or backside, is yours. So that lets you know the timing mechanism of when I need to get the ball out of my hands. Then secondly, a matchup that you can go to based on maybe formation that you formation this matchup where it's Brandon Cooks against this defender or uh, anybody else against a certain defender that you like, that's where I'm going with a football pre-snap. If he wins, good thing. Just give him the ball. And you're depending on him to win. You may even tell him that before you break the huddle. Hey, I need you to win right here. Expect zero. Give it a good look. If you see him disappear, you know you got zero. I need you to win. And The last thing is you're hoping receivers cut their routes off a little bit because if you're running to full depth, I'm going to eat it every time. And that's obviously what happened. Dre, as a quarterback, when you – I mean, you're not watching the defense, but you know the defense keeps giving you the ball back. The defense gave up one play beyond 20 yards yesterday. They shut out the Dolphins in the second half. They had five overall turnovers. How much more pressure did Zep put on the quarterback, and do you – sense at all that maybe Tyrod felt some of that that hey man the defense is doing this man we got to go do something and maybe they're stressing or they're they're pushing a little bit harder than just hey let's relax and play do you sense that as a quarterback that your defense is doing all this hey man we got to go out and do it and because of that you put more pressure on yourself and the offense yes and I, I believe watching that game that that Tyrod put came into it and maybe put a little bit too much pressure on himself to win the job right back you know that week yeah, And, and it, I think it showed with that pass before the half, you know, trying to do too much. And there were plenty of instances in the game in which that was – that was uh, you could identify that. And then certainly when you're getting that many turnovers, yeah, we need to reward the defense. And then you go back and you turn it over yourself. So then there's pressure that mounts the next time you take the field. Uh, you just got to play through those things. Five turnovers, you're supposed to win a football game. There's no doubt about it. The defense did their job yesterday. The offense, you know, it's three phases to this thing, and and uh, obviously one phase came up a little bit short. Well, I'm looking at this defense, Dre, and uh, you have eight games left in this season, but moving into the future, I'm really encouraged by some of the pressures they get without having to send extra guys to pressure, right? I mean, the front right, four right. collapsing that pocket on Brissett many times, forcing turnovers, forcing – and you've talked about it many times. It's not just the sacks. It's forcing errant throws, and they're able to do that. I mean, they had a good day yesterday, a great day, actually. You hold a, an opponent to 17 and get five takeaways and, you know, four from the defense, one from special teams. You totally expect to win. Yeah, you do. And, you know, and that, that instance that you just gave in terms of, you know, I like the pressures over the sacks most times because they lead to turnovers. Sacks are great momentum plays. They're great for momentum. They're great for feeding off energy and getting a team fired up. But if you can just harass a quarterback, make him throw off rhythm, make him throw off off, uh, off his launching point, get him get him moving around a little bit, or he's trying to do too much and launches one 
because of the pressure. Nine times out of ten, you're going to have something happen that's good for the defense. And uh, and so I, I just believe they did that yesterday. They got to Brissett a couple of times, and and uh, and they forced turnovers along the way. It's just unfortunate that that the offense wasn't able to capitalize and at least stick stick the ball in. There were times that they got at point blank range and got turned away where there should have been should have been more than three points going on the board. Yeah, no doubt. And it's interesting because at least one of the sacks I remember did knock them out of field goal range, which was I mean that's that's yeah. the one time when you're like, hey man, I'll will take the sack here. For, well, you take a sack anytime. But when a sack knocks them out of field goal range, you're thinking, wow, okay. But there were just too many of those opportunities, Dre, where offensively there were, they didn't create a lot of opportunities. But the ones that they did create, and there were two of them that stood out to me. And I want to get your, your level of impact on these. Number one was the Connolly drop going across the middle against man coverage early in the game. And then there yep. was Tyrod missing Amandola up the sideline uh, on the RPO where Amandola's wide open. What do you think the level of impact was of those two plays uh, in particular? Well, they were huge from a momentum standpoint. People always say, ah, the game isn't momentum. Yeah, there's plenty of it when you get going and you start to execute plays in succession. And so when you have things going and then you have two plays like you just you just described. I'll even go further. I'll add a third one, the Amendola uh, trick play pass yep. that he yep. had Brandon Cooks. If he just waits another step, he's going to have him in the end zone and he throws it a little bit early and then – yeah, just and he throws it early and wide right. Um, those are those are plays that you can't get back. You hope that you can overcome them because they do so much damage uh, during a game. And then that we just talked about a bunch of pressure. When you have that happen, now here comes the pressure again to to have to perform and deliver this very next down or something later on within a game, and you can't really get that one uh, out of your mind. It's it's unfortunate. Uh, those types of things have to stop happening if if this thing's going to get turned around. Well, Dre, let's talk about Tennessee for a moment. They were in L.A. last mm. night taking yeah. out a Rams team that was looking pretty good. We saw them last week. Gosh, they look good. But all of a sudden, problems. Tennessee's defense really steps up. Maybe Stafford didn't have his best stuff. And without Derrick Henry, they come away with a dominating victory. They are on a roll right now, and the top team currently in the AFC. Things can change, of course. Yeah, it can change in a finger snap because, remember, I think a week or two ago we were talking about the Cincinnati Bengals yep. having the number one seed <laughs> in the AFC, and look how fast that thing's changed. And they're reeling, trying to get the, get their, their wheels back on their, on their car, so to speak. But, you know, I, I just think Tennessee's kind of built to last. Um, even without Derrick Henry, the defense has been coming for weeks, and I think we got a got a chance to see that yesterday against the Rams. Offensively, they they kind of proved that they're a little bit more than just Derrick Henry. Now, obviously, he is an MVP type talent that adds a significant amount of of, uh, of juice to their offense. But they proved yesterday against a Super Bowl caliber team in the Rams that they can get it done without their hoss. So uh, it's scary. Um, I don't know that it's Tennessee for me right now out of the AFC. I think it's Baltimore. That's the horse I would saddle up and ride Mm. right now because of all the close games that they've won this year. And they have the X factor, which wears number eight, that seems to just be a magician this year in the way he's playing. 11 teams in the AFC. 11. Mm Mm-hmm are 500 or better, 11. 
Now, I would say five Scary. wins or more, but the Steelers play mm-hmm. tonight. The Steelers are four and three. So, Steelers play the Bears tonight. If they win, they go to five wins. The entire AFC West has five wins. Yeah. Five and three, five and three, five and four, five and four. The AFC North, if Pittsburgh wins tonight, six and two, five and three, five and four, five and four. I mean, you're in last place at five and four. And that's the Kansas well, City Chiefs. And, Dre, where would you throw the Chiefs into the mix in the AFC? I know they didn't look great, but they did shut out Jordan Love and the Packers yesterday. Well, held in the seven. That's as much as a shutout. Yeah, I was, I was having a conversation about the Chiefs the other day, and I, I just think that the reason why the Patriots and, – and just stay with me for a second. The reason why the Patriots were good for so long, they had a guy that was willing to take less money so that everybody else could get paid. You could keep a team around him and Tom Brady. And that went on for 20 years. Uh, when you broke off that check to Patrick Mahomes and they congratulations, but now you're going to suffer somewhere, offensive line, mm. defense, running game, it all start receivers. They had all start. You got to take away somewhere when you pay a guy that, you know, you give him that kind of contract. And I think it's finally, it's starting to catch up with the Kansas city chiefs. They are not uh, head and heels above everybody else in the AFC. Certainly not in the NFL, and I think uh, I, I'm just—I I think they're going to continue to struggle uh, throughout the season. He is a magnificent talent, but the the pieces around him—you take away Kelsey in a game, and you're able to slow down uh, Tariq Hill, then you've got you—you're going because there's really nothing else for Patrick Mahomes to do or to go to uh, that have proven it over a significant period of time, like the two that I mentioned with with. Uh, with Hill and, and Kelsey. So it's going to be tough there. And then if you can run the football against Kansas City, uh, you can certainly beat them. Well, the thing is, and let's go a step further with the Patriots when Brady was there, two decades of dominance, and Brady not only takes less money, but who else are they paying really, guys? I mean, who else do they hand out huge contracts to? No, I know the nobody. Chiefs had to take care of Travis Kelsey, you know, they've got some some guys that they've paid. I don't think Frank Clark's making huge money, but he's making nice money. So It's big money. It's it's big, it's money. big money. So so, you know, you want those guys, but then it hurts you when you're trying to bring in the rest of the middle class, so to speak. Well, to that end, yeah. you when when you have your best player, I used to hear this about the Cowboys back when Roger Staubach was with the Cowboys. And Roger was apparently under that same kind of uh, situation with the Cowboys way, way back in the day. And the thought was the Cowboys could always say, our best player makes X. You ain't making more than him. Oh, yeah. So if you're in New England <laughs> and you're, say, Richard Seymour or whomever, and they're mm-hmm. like, Brady makes $20 million a year. You aren't about to make 11 or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Or whatever the case is, and players are like, oh, okay. I mean, I, that might be part of it too, Dre, is that you have that sort of situation. Whereas, you know, hey, Pat got his. I'm going to go get mine too. And then that just – tears the fabric but you can't miss when you give up first rounders and then you pay a guy and that guy's a dud like frank clark is that's a killer yeah you you took the words right out of my mouth is that when those guys get ready to leave and you trade them like new england did you got a hit on the draft picks or the players mm. that you're getting for them and uh, for so many years uh, coach belichick's been able to do that and so that's why they were every year they compare i mean look at them now they're five and four with a rookie quarterback starting, a, almost a brand new roster, and uh, and yet they're in the thick of things right now. After you know two years after Brady's departure and 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 essentially starting it over, hitting the reset button. So he's oh. got it. He knows how to get it done, and uh, and he's been doing it for a very long time. It's it's impressive to watch. 
Okay, everyone's talking about Tennessee, but what about Arizona with Colt McCoy? Oh, oh, no oh, D Hop, yeah. no Murray. So Texas legend Colt McCoy. <laughs> well, he is. I know. And look, Murray worships the guy, and now we see even more why he, in that offense he looked really good. You know what? People forget Colt McCoy can move around. At Texas, he ran too. He could throw it, yeah. but he can run it, and he's got, he's a good athlete, Trey. And they looked really good yesterday in beating San Francisco. I just like Colt McCoy's demeanor, guys. I, I mean, he is no matter what's going on, you wouldn't know that he's rattled, and that's that. That's the the characteristic, the one characteristic of a quarterback that I think you have to have, and, and uh, he's got it. Whether he can play or not, you don't know it uh, by his by his body language. And you know, I think you know when you when you look at it, his teammates respect that. They go to battle for him, and they knew they were shorthanded without without D-Hop yesterday and, and Kyler Murray, obviously. And, and I don't know that A.J. Green played in that game yesterday. That he was without without him. But what it, what it shows you is just the depth. And when we were there, I kept talking about this, the depth mm. of uh, that team as on, you know, on, a, on a full scale where they can go to Christian Kirk and, you know, they can draft a guy like Rondell Moore who can, who can take over at times. James Conner comes in he was outstanding he looks oh my (laughs) goodness looked like there's been a rebirth I had no idea James Conner had that kind of speed until he Mm -hmm. broke away yesterday on a long uh, screen pass I mean nobody was catching him so I think that all goes into the environment that Cliff has uh, has has put in place there in Arizona that guys want to come there they want to play us now a destination spot where guys are going to go they're going to be they're going to kill it in free agency going forward because they have started to win and churn out wins and when you start to win games like they won yesterday uh, it's a little bit easier to recruit guys in the offseason yeah and James Conner was originally an edge rusher at Pitt before they wow. before they played in both ways in a bowl yeah. game and they were like hey yeah. he's a pretty good he can run it a little bit too. yeah, yeah. He, can, he can actually do both Dre I want to ask you about Odell Beckham Jr. Now, I would imagine that as soon as that name is said, the three of us all have different ideas of, of who Odell Beckham Jr. is, what he is as a player, all that kind of thing. But the locker room is such a unique place. It's unlike anywhere else that you can be. And when you have a guy, whether Odell is loved or hated or whatever the case might be in a locker room, you know it's a situation. You know that it's an issue. A, have you and did you ever have a situation like that when you were playing in the league? And B, the fact that the Browns went out and put 40-plus on the Bengals yesterday, does that show that maybe the offense is going to be okay without Odell and maybe Baker is better without him? What are your thoughts about that whole situation? Well, I think it's proven that Baker's better without him. And uh, when, you have, when you have a guy that you got to get the ball to, uh, that's why I think teams are going to pump the brakes on bringing him in, whether or not whether they can or not, especially contenders, because you don't want to rock the chemistry. We had a situation mm-hmm. like that in Detroit where we signed Pat Swilling, took a guy, took Joe Smith's number out of retirement so that uh, Pat Swilling could wear it, and he didn't do anything for us, really. I mean, that's just being honest. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and so got hurt at, at one point and had to shut it down, and they went through this, I mean, this whole ceremony of bringing him, bringing him to town. Anyway, long story short, when you bring in players of that caliber, you run the risk of ruining chemistry because if he was loud in Cleveland and was getting paid well in Cleveland, He's now taking a pay cut to come pay for you, play for you. He's not going to be quiet if you're not giving him the ball. So you've got to alter what you're doing 
to make sure that he's happy or he's got you got him in your ear uh, every other play. Hey, I'm open. Get me the rock. This, that, and the other. It alters the chemistry. Fans will say, "Hey, yeah, he's a great talent. We should sign him." And then we're off and running. There's, I, I can't express the importance of chemistry, especially in the game of football. And once you have it established, you can't mess around with it. I, I would dare not send, even if they could afford it. Odell Beckham Jr. goes to the Arizona Cardinals, and they load up even. Well, mm. now you got a problem because who's who's getting the ball? D-Hop or, or Odell? You know, you got problems with that thing. And I think a lot of teams are going to balk at bring him in, bringing him in, especially at this point in the season, if they are, uh, they are playoff contender. Boy, the other part of this is the 49ers. Ouch. But that's for another day. Dre, is Alabama the second-best team in the country? Come on, pollsters. Have some guts. Call it the way it is. <laughs> I don't know that they are. I mean, I can remember a time where – when the season started and they were rolling and they were undefeated and everybody, oh, it's Alabama and everybody else. Then they get go to A&M and get beat, and then it's Georgia and everybody else. I'm not sure Georgia can't be had, and I'm not sure that Alabama's, they, they've proven that they're not, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the, the elite of the elite like everybody had them at the beginning of the season. Yeah, it's just, it's survival of the fittest, guys, in a, in a weird way where you've got to get through the season uh, healthy, and mm-hmm. on a lot of levels, even if at this point guys are playing, but they're not completely, you know, 100%, and that matters. And so uh, at, on any given Saturday, it could, it could happen. I thought LSU, uh, you got to tip your hat to LSU and the way they played because, I, you know, going into that game, nobody gave them a chance to be as close as they were, and they were one score away uh, and, and was within striking distance of scoring. And, uh, and didn't get it done. But uh, kudos to LSU. Guys hurt. I think it was eight defensive starters that were out of that game, and they still held Alabama to 21 points or 20 points. Uh, I don't think that they're the elite of the elite. I think it could be anybody's year, which is why uh, I would like to see Cincinnati get a shot in the playoff that they're not going to get. I've said it. I've yelled from the mountaintops yeah, I know. that it's not in the cards. And the first rankings from the playoff committee come out, and they're what? Sixth. Sixth. When in the AP, they're second. It's crazy. mm -hmm. And then they have this close win. And it's it's tough because, like, if they're not dominating everybody on their schedule, it looks bad, right? But everybody on their schedule, they're going to make their season by beating Cincinnati. They're getting everybody's best game. Yeah, I get them this weekend. Number two Cincinnati in the AP going to South Florida. And I guarantee. TU, South Florida is going to give it to them. They gave oh, it yeah. to U of H and made U of H earn it uh, this past weekend, and they're going to do the same thing to uh, to Cincinnati because they're the type of team that can spread you out. They've got a dynamic young quarterback that can cause some problems, and I could see that being a, a three, three-and-a-half quarter game easily uh, if they don't turn the ball over. And they've got a defense that's a little bit nasty enough to where they could give – Desmond Ritter some some problems and so then once again they don't pass the eye test to get the votes to get them closer to the player it's not going to happen it's not designed to happen <laughs> I can't say it enough and I'm not sure that uh, that the uh, the powers that be want me saying it but it was told to me that it's not designed for group five teams to get in the playoff it's more evident now than it ever has been to me mm. Dre you won the trophy 
you're as a result, you are a Heisman voter. I was going to ask, can a defensive player win the Heisman? But I kind of know the answer that it's – I know the answer. How can Will Anderson Jr. from Alabama win the Heisman? Just continue to, to, to go on a tear like he's doing. And then you got to – I think in order for a guy to, to win it on the defense side, yes, it can happen. I, it has happened. But um, he's got to just be extraordinary because he's not a guy that's influencing the game on a down-by-down basis right. or having the ball in his hands on a down-by-down basis. Or, you know, people get uh, get excited about statistics and, and the likes of it. But um, if he were to continue on a tear like he's been on and some guys in front of him falter a little bit, that's where he can slide in and, uh, and, and get himself to New York. The guy, the kid at uh, the running back, Walker, the third, at Michigan yeah. State right yeah, now, yeah. though, is playing like a grown man. I don't know about – I don't know that there's anybody – even in a loss, he went for 146 and a couple of touchdowns the other day. So, uh, right now, if, if I think if, if, if you were to twist my arm and force me to vote and stare there and stand there and watch me, that might be who I, who I cast it for. Backup running back at Wake Forest in 2020. Wow. Wow. He Amazing. Is, um, he is the man and awesome. the reason why Michigan State is is ranked where they are right now. I absolutely love that, dude. Kenneth Walker III at Michigan State. My goodness. Love that man, Andre Ware. And love me, so John McClain, the general, joins us next right here on Texans All Access. I know we got some really big fans out there, and I want to give some props to one of today's biggest Houston fans, and that's our friends over at Daikin. These guys are doing big things in Houston. From comfort and convenience to air quality, Daikin's innovations are changing how people enjoy the indoors as they lead the way to a more sustainable future, reducing our carbon emissions to net zero by 2050. As the world's number one air conditioning company, Daikin is committed to perfecting the air that connects us all. Learn more at perfectingtheair.com. It's our friends at Daikin. Welcome back to this Monday edition of Texans All Access. And this segment brought to you by Mattress Firm, the official mattress retailer of your Houston Texans. I'm a huge fan of my friends over at Mattress Firm. and glad they are part of this Monday edition of All Access. And it's time for the general. It was good to see the general down in Miami. And by the way, we were... We were joking a little bit. To get to our press booth, the press box, the booth in the press box, we had to walk through essentially this club. It's an end zone long from one end of the end zone to the other. The width of the field, so like 55 yards. This club, so you had to go through this club. It's called Live, L-I-V, which Roman numerals is 54, which I think was the last Super Bowl. There. I think it was the one that the, uh, the Chiefs won. They call it Live. I had to go, after the game was over, I had to go through there to get back down to talk to Coach Cully um, and to Eric Murray after the game, do our press stuff after the game. I'm rolling through there with my my bags, my travel bags, and it is a full-on club scene. It was absolutely crazy. Now, I didn't find the general in there, but it looked like it was a pretty cool place to watch a game, that's for sure. But I know if the general knew about it, he probably would – Go in there, get him a glass of water, and then talk football with us like he did today. 
your thoughts a day later after what you saw yesterday, offense, defense, all of it? Well, the Texans are a half game out of the first pick in the draft behind Detroit, which was idle. They both have eight-game uh, losing streaks. It's too bad they can't play each other. And the thing that, to me, was the encouraging part yesterday was the performance of the defense, especially the line. They played eight linemen. Everyone registered statistically. The linemen dominated that game. Linebackers and DBs played well, too, but the line led by Jordan Jenkins and Malik Collins, that was their best performance. They were dominant against the run, and they got after Jacoby Brissett. And uh, I thought it was funny, Jenkins, I think it was Jenkins talking about how hard Brissett was to get down because he's so stout. He said he was the one who took me on a tour when I visited uh, the college, and he's a little heavier now than he was then. <laughs> and, and you know, I, I wrote before the game when we found out about Tua Tagovailoa not playing. I said, that's not good news for the Texans. They got to yep. play the Texans killer. And Jacoby Brissett is now 5-1 and one against them with victories with three teams, although he didn't do anything to win mm-hmm. this game. You know, he should have lost this game. But it's amazing the disparity between the performance of the offense and the defense. And what made, to me, the offense even more uh, discouraging was the Dolphins were 32nd in defense, 31 against the pass, and yet they just got consistent pressure on Tyrod Taylor, whether it was from their linemen or blitzes coming off the edge. They didn't, David Culley said they practiced that. and uh, But it was just terrible. I don't think anybody anticipated Tyrod Taylor playing like that. I was, after his slow start, I thought, well, he'll play better in the second half now that he's got some playing time for the first time since second quarter of the second game. But, and that stat where they don't have a touchdown since the Cleveland game on September 19th on the road, that's pretty amazing. John, you talked about the Tua Jacoby thing. I know that we don't cover the Dolphins, but that felt really, really strange and weird. It was almost like the Dolphins woke up on Sunday and went, wait a second. Jacoby's 4-1 and one against the Texans. Maybe we should start him. It felt really, really strange that Tua didn't play in that game. Well, they, uh, Brian Flores explained it about his finger and what he could grip and couldn't. They had him for an emergency situation. I don't think for a second they played Brissette because he had played well against the Texans. A couple times he beat them, and he didn't do squat. Like in this game, you know, that, that wasn't because of him. It wasn't because of their offense. It was because of their defense. And, uh, you know, they've got to, they got to look at Tua Tagovailoa as much as they can over the rest of the season, because they're going to be in pursuit of Deshaun Watson, uh, before the draft, assuming he gets his lawsuits settled. And, uh, I tweeted a picture about halfway through the first quarter. You guys saw how many empty seats there were. And I shot a picture and I said, this is one reason the owner, Stephen Ross, it wants Deshaun Watson because, you know, they're just – they're not drawing. And uh, it's, that's the first time I'd been in their stadium since they spent $450 million to renovate it. And they did a great job. Of course, the weather was fabulous. And I was really surprised they had that many people there for one and two, one and seven teams. And I think – you know, I was eager to see Tonga Valoa play. I've never seen him play 
in person and he's struggling and he's been hurt. Uh, every year he's played football, he's been injured. And that's one reason, you know, they're looking for somebody else. They won't say it, but you know, if you can't count on him week in and week out, you better find somebody you can. John, you mentioned that Taylor, obviously first half didn't go well. Maybe the second half would go better. It didn't. What do you think moving forward here? Because I think the feeling is that, yeah, more practice, get him in rhythm, keep him in there for a while. But you also still want to see Mills at some point, probably before the end of the regular season. How do you think they handle all this? We asked Cully about it. He said, when you got our record, you evaluate everything. They're going to evaluate everything including themselves, and evaluate the players. And we ask about Mills, but I don't see any way they go back to Mills coming out of the bye week to play at Tennessee, Mm. which pulled off a huge upset last night and now has home field advantage in the AFC. I don't see that. As bad as they've been on the road, I see them sticking with Tyrod another game. You know, they've got one touchdown pass and ten interceptions in five road games. And so I just don't – Mills has played teams that last week had a combined record of 30-17, and 17, and I thought, sure, they'd beat up on the Dolphins' defense. I thought they'd lose the game. I picked them to lose 28-20. But uh, I just don't think they're going to go back to Mills after giving Tyrod one game. I think the bye week will do him good. It'll do everybody good. It comes at a great time. You know, nine games in, eight games left. But I, I expect Taylor to play at Tennessee. There's a good chance that's not going to go well. Then I could see him going back to Mills. I believe, and I've said this all along, guys, I think they'll go back to Mills regardless, maybe for the last four games. And after this Tennessee game, they get three in a row at home, including a big showdown against the Jets. I hope Zach Wilson's back then so we could see Zach Wilson and Davis Mills. And then, remember, they got they still have to play Trevor Lawrence again. They have to play um, uh, probably Trey Lance in the last road game of the season. 49ers just got beat up bad with Jimmy Garoppolo. And uh, the Texans should pay close attention to the 49ers and want them to lose because they had, Miami has San Francisco's first pick. Miami's first pick belongs to Philadelphia. Philadelphia, if Carson Wentz keeps playing, is going to have three number one picks. All three teams have losing records. And there's a push by the media in Indianapolis that if it comes down to the end of the season, bench him if you're not going to the playoffs so you don't give up a one, you give up a two and keep your one. And that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out with general manager Chris Ballard and coach Frank Reich because you know they'd like to not give up a number one. But the Eagles are in great shape. And guess what team was interested in Deshaun Watson? The Eagles. He rejected them with no trade clause. You know, maybe he'll change his mind. Uh, I thought maybe Tua would play really well the rest of the season. And the Dolphins said, you know what? We didn't. We made the right call making him the fifth overall pick last year. We're going to stick with him. But I can't find anybody that I talked to with the Dolphins that thinks they believe Tua Tagovailoa is a franchise quarterback. John, you mentioned it yesterday in North Florida, Duval County. The Jacksonville Jaguars somehow, some way beat the Buffalo Bills 9-6. to And just when it feels like throw more dirt on Urban Meyer, he is dead, 
done. They come back from London. They lose in Seattle 31-7. to It's over. It's done. They win 9-6. to John, I don't know how to explain it. It's kind of like Tyrod's interception at the end of the first half. I don't know how to explain it at all that Urban Meyer and the Jags got to win. But Urban Meyer and the Jags got to win over Buffalo. Your thoughts? Without scoring a touchdown. And they're trumpeting it in Jacksonville as our Josh Allen was better than their Josh Allen. Defensive end Josh Allen had a sack, an interception, a forced fumble. The Bills' Josh Allen had no touchdowns, a couple of interceptions. And it's just in, inexplicable that Josh Allen would play that bad. They shut down the run. And um, and so, you know, the Texans now are in last place in the division, and they still go over there. But And Trevor Lawrence had to be helped off with an ankle injury. People freaked out, of course. Then he went in for an X-ray, and they were negative, so he came back out and played. And he didn't do squatting. He threw for like 118 yards. James Robinson didn't play in the game. Their leading rusher, Carlos Hyde. And their field goal kicker, Michael Wright, missed three field goals in the third quarter. But he kicked the game winner in the fourth. It was ugly, but, boy, they won't have a better win than that one unless they somehow upset the Titans. But, hey, I'm happy for the Jaguars. They've been the dregs of the NFL for so long, and I know Texans fans see that, and they go, if they can do it, why can't we do it? And everybody that calls me or emails me or I'm on the shows with, I say, guys, you're unhappy now, you're going to be a whole lot more excited in April. During the draft, yes. But what about next year? That was a rhetorical question. We'll see how that goes when we get to it. General, one more for you. What's really heartbreaking to me is – all the years we had these juggernauts in the AFC, the Patriots, the Colts, the Chiefs. This year it looks so wide open because it's who's the darling this week? The Bengals a couple of weeks ago. Top seed of the AFC. Wait a minute. And then the Browns were looking good, then not. Now looking really good again. Well, at least yesterday they looked pretty good beating the Bengals. But the Titans are the darlings having beaten the Rams. I think the Titans really have something going on here. When you look at that streak they have against all these good teams that were playoff teams last year, your thoughts on the AFC at the top? Titans have won four in a row. They are the fourth team in 15 years to beat. Teams that went before, I'm sorry, they've won five in a row. The last four were playoff teams last year. That's happened four times in 15 years now. And the first three that won four in a row over previous playoff teams went to the Super Bowl in 2-1. I hate to admit it, but the general's right. The Titans are good. We're going to go around the league next and talk about a team that record is good, but things are not well in Las Vegas. That's next on Texans All Access. Next on Texans All Access. Next on Texans. I'm calling all my Houston area teachers out there. You want to bring a little Texans football to your classroom? Then I have got the solution for you, and that is Toro's Math Drills, presented by ConocoPhillips. Toro's Math Drills is a video series designed to help third and fourth graders learn how to tackle math in the classroom. Go to HoustonTexans.com slash Toro's Math Drills to learn more. Now, I know my teachers out there, Monday night, it's football. They want to unwind a little bit. They like to unwind with a little Miller Light, the original light beer, celebrating 20 seasons with the Houston Texans. Check out the limited edition 16-ounce commemorative cans at your nearest beer store. Miller Light's a championship partner of the Houston Texans. Great taste with only 96 calories and 3.2 carbs. So however you and your friends are enjoying Miller time this season, you can have the original light beer 
with great taste delivered by going to MillerLite.com slash online. That's MillerLite.com slash online and find the delivery options near you. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Fort Worth, Texas. 96 calories and 3.2 carbs per 12 ounces. So teachers, I gave you ConocoPhillips, Toros, Matrils, and Miller Lite on a Monday Night Football Monday night. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. We got it all in. So there you go. All right. Let's go around the league. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter. Last week, I mean, there have been some really tragic situations that we've seen. Obviously, we have the situation that happened uh, at near NRG Stadium with the Astroworld Festival. and such a sad thing, and our thoughts and prayers go out to everybody involved in that situation. Loss of life is just so disheartening and sad, and our thoughts go out to everybody uh, involved in that situation. Uh, our players and coaches made, a, made comments at the podiums yesterday when they were talking after the game, and it's just such a shame. Well, in Las Vegas, there have been tragic situations with a former 2020 first-round pick, and that was Henry Ruggs, driving at 156 miles an hour while intoxicated, ended up colliding with a woman and a child, killed them both. Ruggs was then released from the Raiders. Well, today, news came down that the second first-round pick for the Raiders in 2020 was Damon Arnett, Ohio State corner, very confident, boisterous, somewhat loud, was drafted in 2020 and had a lot of struggles. There were already there was already talk about him not playing well, being in John Gruden's doghouse. Well, he is no longer a Raider. Why? Well, he took to social media and decided to film himself threatening someone with about five or six different guns. Now, the level of stupidity in that, I can't even comprehend. But the Raiders, Mike Mayock, spoke to the Las Vegas media today and said, we did more work on Damon Arnett because he had some issues at Ohio State. Uh, and he said, I take full responsibility for that. And I hate that for Mike Mayock. And that's one of the things that bothers me. There are a lot of scouts out there, a lot of GMs that stick their necks out for players. And the players responded to this. Just absolutely deplorable. So what's left of that 2020 draft class? Uh, virtually nothing. Because the third-round pick, Tanner Muse, he was already released. The third-round pick in that draft, Lynn Bowden, was traded before the season even started. It's just a mess what John Gruden left behind there in Las Vegas. And hopefully Mayock and Rich Bisaccia can get that thing cleaned up very soon. All right, big thanks to John McClain, to Andre Ware, to Mark Vandermeer, of course, to all of you for listening. Thank you so much. We'll see you next time. And as always, go Texans.